Sex after divorce, it can be terrifying or it can be liberating. I just recently had a woman in my private Facebook community question when she should have sex. She wanted to know if there was a magic number, like should she go on two dates first or three dates? What if there was chemistry? What if there wasn't? What are the rules to having sex post-divorce? Today, I chat with someone who threw out the rule book and made up her own rules and had fun while she was doing it. This is a juicy episode, so let's get to it. The Happy Even After Podcast. The Happy Even After Podcast. Divorce sucks, but it doesn't need to define you, and it doesn't need to be the end of your story. The Happy Even After Podcast. Meet your host, Renee Bauer, an award-winning divorce attorney, peacemaker, author, and founder of The D-Course, an online divorce educational program. She's been doing this work for almost two decades, and she is passionate about helping all women Make it out the other side. The Happy Even After Podcast. Let's jump in. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode. And today is going to be a really fun one. I am here with Laura Friedman-Williams, who is the author of a memoir called Available, a memoir of sex and dating after marriage ends, which was a number one bestseller on Amazon UK in books on divorce, romantic relationships, and memoirs, which is amazing. She's unapologetic in her new book about dating and sex after divorce. It is funny, it's raw, it's real, and it's like a conversation with your girlfriend after you've had a few martinis. So I'm super pumped for this because this is going to be so much fun. Welcome, Laura. Thank you so much, Renee. I love to have fun. So uh, let's get into it. Yeah. Well, let's give the listeners, like, what was your divorce story? How old were you? How many kids do you have? How long have you been divorced? Like, what are the basics? Yeah. So I think like most divorce stories, it was for me very traumatic. And also for me, it was very unexpected. My husband and I were together from the time we were in college at the age of 20. And uh, we had three children. And when I was 47, I found out that he was having an affair. So we'd been together for 27 years. We'd really grown up together. And our kids ranged in like it was an 11 year span over which we had them. I never even suspected anybody would have an affair. Like I I thought I was married forever and that was how I wanted it to be. So it was devastating on every level, like a really seismic life turning upside down. Didn't see it coming, didn't want it. And um, it was a very dark time. How long ago was that? It was almost four years ago. And um, it's kind of amazing. It still feels very fresh. You know, I guess, you know, 27 years of being with somebody And four years out, the the scales are still tipped in terms of the life we built together. You know, I'm still trying to wrap my head around that that's not my life anymore. So um, four years is a nice amount of time. It feels like my life has continued on in a nice way. And I'm happy with where it is now. But I still feel the loss of it. Absolutely. And you know what? I don't think you ever get over feeling that loss. Like I was driving yesterday and a song came on that I had not heard in a really, really long time. And it was a song that was playing all the time when I was going through one of my divorces because I've been twice divorced. And it brought up all of these feelings though. And I hadn't heard it. And so it's like, you can have a date that comes up on the calendar or a song or a moment or a smell, whatever it is that kind of triggers just this feeling that you can't help but feel something. You know, you may not regret the divorce, but you may feel a little bit of like remorse or grief or regret, whatever it is. And I think that that's natural. 
I think it is. And I think you've put it well. And I think that if you, you know, it's easier to accept if you just understand that it doesn't mean there's regret is just nostalgia. I mean, you, you know, there's, you can feel that way about your childhood too. You know, there's like all kinds of things, right. About being a child, but yeah, it's always a mixed bag, I guess. I, I've, I've come to learn that over four years. It's not all bad and it's not all good. Right. All right, Laura. So let's talk about dating after divorce. How long did you wait until you started dating? Because a lot of people ask that question. You know, I really didn't think about it. It wasn't like an active thought process for me. I'm a pretty scheduled and organized, like calculating, not truly calculating, (laughs) but you know, I'm like organized. I'm orderly. And it was about five months, I'd say, after I found out about the affair. And I had like an epiphany that I could go out that I was single. It really had not occurred to me until that night. So it wasn't for me like I'd been thinking about it and then was like, okay, I'm going to do it tonight. It was like a literal moment of saying, what am I doing? Like I'm single. I'm sitting in my bedroom on a Saturday night, shut in my room with the door closed because I'm in the same house with my ex-husband and daughter. We were living separately. We were fully living separately at that time, but we were in our country house for the summer. And on the weekends, we overlapped. So we would just do our separate things, but, you know, sometimes we overlap. So I was in the house and my daughter, it was her time with her dad. And I was like locked in my bedroom because I didn't want to see him. And I just thought it was almost like I I'm sat in the room and I could feel the four walls closing in on me. And I said, I have to get out of here. I have to go live my life. And so I went out that night. I went by myself. I just went to, I found like a bar that had a band playing in town and I went out by myself and that was the first night that I decided that I there, I was going to see what life outside of marriage could look like. All right. So I have to, like, I'm so curious. Did you get like all dressed up to go out? Did you like cozy up to the bar with a martini? Like what did that, what did that <laughs> look like going out that first night? I got dressed. <laughs> I remember I was, it was summer, it was July and I love summer. Like I, I'm always, I mentioned to you before, I'm always freezing. Summer is my season. <laughs> I showered, I shaved my legs. That's huge. I had this like, <laughs> it was huge. <laughs> it was huge. I have this amazing rose oil that my friends had given me from Paris that like the smell to me is like nothing else. I slathered it all over <laughs> myself. I unearthed a black thong that was like in the back of my drawer. That was probably like 20 years old that, you know, if you like put, pulled it too hard, the elasticity would have just made it fall right off. But I had one. Um, I put on a really pretty like strapless sundress and I thought, okay, I got this. I got this. I look, I'm zhuzhed up. I look as good as I can look. And I went to the bar in town. It was a very small town in um, rural New York uh, where a country house is, but it's a hip place, small, but hip. So I parked the car and I'm watching people go in for the venue. And I'm like, oh my God, everybody is 80 years old. This is amazing. <laughs> I'm First, I'm afraid my parents are going to be here. And second of all, what was I thinking? How did I think this was going to go? Like, how out of it am I? And I was, it was funny, but I was also mad at myself because I thought, I have no idea how this works. I'm so out of practice. It's been 27 years since I've gone on a first date with somebody the landscape is totally different. Here, I think you can just go out and find a man, but all the men are taken and they're 80. So <laughs> I went into the bar and I was early because I um, I wanted to get a seat at the bar. So I was early and alone. That's why they're all 80 year olds because it was four o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> they wanted their seats too. So I sat at the bar, I ordered a margarita. That's my drink. 
And um, I sat by myself and I thought, okay, one hour, that's all you have to do. You got to make it one hour to prove to yourself that you can do this. And then at some point I had sort of left my body. Like I was like, this is so mortifying. And at some point, suddenly there was like a group of people next to me, including this very handsome man who had a full head of hair and it was black. It was, (laughs) (laughs) and it was natural. It wasn't dyed. And he wasn't the waiter? So I saw my target. No, the waiter was, (laughs) the bartender was old. The bartender even was old. I mean, I felt bad for me. I think he was very paternal. I think he was worried about me that I was alone. That bartender looked so relieved when I made this friend. (laughs) But I, I saw him and I was like, oh, I'm sinking in here. I've got my prey, which was amazing that I knew how to do it. But I was like, it just turned on everything I thought I should do. And I did it. How did it turn out? It was fantastic. I don't, the best one night stand of my life. I mean, it was, um, it was so eye opening for me in every way. So what ended up happening was we left the bar and we ended up going back to his hotel. He was in for the weekend and I slept with him and, um, it awakened a million things in me, not just sexually and physically, but for sure it wake, awakened me in that way. But it also awakened this set confidence. Like you can, you can actually do this. I hadn't yet decided for sure that my husband and I were not going to get back together. We were still in couples therapy and we were trying to figure it out. It was very inconceivable to either of us to imagine life without each other. And I couldn't even look at him. So I was like, it was hard for me to imagine a life with him and just as hard to imagine a life without him. But we had said we would date other people. I was really adamant that that be an open possibility for me, that I understood that that might be part of my process of trying to decide. And after that one night stand, I knew that my marriage was over because I thought whatever I'm feeling right now, I have not felt since I was a teenager and I want more of it. Mm. So what is it like to wake up next to a different person than the person that you had been married to for almost 30 years? It was pretty surreal. I didn't sleep there. Um, so I didn't wake up next to him. Uh, I think I got a little like, okay, I got to go home. I was still afraid I'd get in trouble. You know, it was weird because I was in his hotel room. I was 15 minutes from home. I could have slept there. He wanted me to stay, but I was the idea of my ex-husband and daughter waking up in the house and my coming back and my clothes from the night before, there was just no way that that was going to happen. So I went home, but I did you know, I, he was very kind to me. And I, I think I was lucky because I really was putting on a front. I was really like acting as if this was old news for me. You know, I'm always out on a Saturday night and, you know, men are at my beck and call. I just sit at this bar until a man shows up and then I'm like, I'm there. And I had very successfully done that all the way through into his hotel room. And then once I was naked in front of him, I had to be like, I actually have no idea what I'm doing. Like I'm a, I'm a post-marriage virgin. And, um, I was sending a lot of mixed messages, like ravish me, be gentle, go slow, go faster. You know? And he was like, I don't even know, I don't know what to do. And I was like, just do what you want. Like, stop, don't, don't wait for directions from me anymore. And if I give them, just ignore me, just do what you want. But it was lovely and it was better than lovely. And it felt really surreal. It just felt like I was, I think for the first time in a very long time, I felt like a person outside of my family, mm-hmm. not just outside of my husband, but outside of my children. I felt like a, a person who had her own like level almost. Like I was always part of this pack. And it was like for these two hours, I was with this man 
I had broken free from the pack. Wow. And I wanted my pack. I wanted them desperately, but I wanted moments where I could have that again. And that for me became the very fine balancing act of how do you have preserve yourself now that you know you are your own person, you understand that you can survive and thrive outside of your pack. How do you do that, but also become be the dedicated mom you've always been, totally there and present for your children? That was the hardest thing, was trying to find the balance of being this newly sexual, independent woman. I loved it. I just wanted more. I wanted men to like just eat me alive. Like I was like, I couldn't believe how good it felt to be wanted like that as just a woman. Yeah. Nothing was being asked of me. You know, it was like, and I was like the aggressor. I mean, I, at some point was like, I think some men were startled because I would be like, okay, like, let's just have sex. Like, don't, (laughs) we don't need to make small talk. (laughs) Just buy me a drink. That's fine. Let's like, let's get down to it. I had to get it out of my system. I'm not like that anymore. So how long of a phase was that your life? About a year. What ended up happening, and it just happened. It's kind of funny the way it happened was for one year, a little bit less actually, about nine months, I slept with 10 men. I went on a lot of dates, but I actually had sex with 10 men. And some of them were one night stands, but most of them weren't. Most of them were people that I saw a couple of times. And there was one man I had met. I I number them in the book. I don't name them. Uh, I try not to name them. And if I do their pseudonyms, but I I number them, you know, in the order that there was interaction. So number six, (laughs) he and I ended up really forming a relationship. And I still wanted to maintain the ability to see other people outside of him. I just was, I'm very commitment shy right now still. And so... I continued to have relationships with other people, even while dating him. And over time, my feelings for him grew and it started to be harder for me to have, like, I didn't want to date people other than him. I still wanted my sexual freedom. So it's been three years and I've been dating for three years and I still, it's the same. You know, I still maintain the sort of freedom and it's sort of like an open relationship. I can, I am still free to be with who I want to be with. But my relationship in terms of a committed, intimate relationship is with him. Did you find it hard to learn how to interact and flirt and communicate with men after your divorce? Yeah, I felt so broken. You know, I'd always, I think like, I kept thinking, okay, the last time I was dating, I was a teenager. I was 18, 19. I met my husband actually, we were 19. So now I've, I'm so hurt, you know, I, and people could see it on me. Like when they asked me and some men would ask me why my marriage ended. And I was like, always like, Lord, do not cry. You're on a date. You cannot cry. But I was very wounded and I don't hide emotion easily. So I couldn't laugh it off. It wasn't like I could be like, oh yes, you know, I could play act at that, but I'm not a false person. I can't play act for long. I'm going to get real pretty quickly. And so I felt extremely vulnerable all the time, you know, um, with men. And I didn't know how do you flirt, but also stay true to who you are? How do you act carefree and seductive and like somebody that somebody would want to get to know? You can't be bitter. You know, that's not attractive. So I found it a very hard balancing act. That being said, it wasn't terrible. I, I like I'm a pretty social person. 
and I meet new people all the time and talk to them. So I try to treat it like that, you know, like I'm making a friend. Mm. And so I can talk about things that are we have in common, whether it's books or um, children or cities that we've been in or, you know, whatever it was, travel. I tried to always just find commonalities. It didn't have to be talking about relationships or feelings about dating. I didn't want to talk about that. I wanted to know who the person was. So it was hard in the beginning. I think it was what was hard for me was setting boundaries, you know, understanding like how much to expose, how much I wanted to expose of who I was and where I was. And also I didn't know how to tell people that I was dating other people. I felt really weird because I wanted the freedom. The freedom was so massively important to me, but I didn't know how to tell men that I was with, that I was also with other men. Mm. And that made me feel really kind of dirty and secretive and like I, and ashamed. Like I felt like I was doing something wrong. Mm. That part was the trickiest for me. I think that took me a little while until I started to do, even on a first date, I got to the point by number eight, where I remember we were sitting in a coffee shop and we met for the first time and we had a really great date. And we, he asked me if we, I would want to get together again. And I said, I definitely would, but there's something I have to tell you. I'm dating a lot of people right now. And he laughed and he was like, okay, so am I, don't worry about it. Like, I, mm. I don't know what you were thinking about. Like, I wasn't thinking this was going to be marriage. And I said, no, no, no. I just want you to know, I just need to be upfront. I don't want there to be any expectations that are blurred. So I just need you to know that. And he goes, okay, I'll tell you something too. I'm a recovering alcoholic, so I, I don't drink, but it's fine if you do. And I was like, great. We've already confided in each other. And we had a couple more dates. Wow. It was fun. Did you have anyone ever um, give you a hard time about that or say like, well, then I'm not, I'm not going to date you if, if it's not going to be exclusive? Yeah, there was one guy. I really liked him. He was number five. And he was the first guy I dated. I met on Tinder or on one of the, I think it was Tinder. And I, it was my first real online dating experience. And I had just come back into New York city from being upstate. So I was a little bit like, okay, now my life begins. Like now I'm in my home. Now I'm in my real home. The kids are back in school. I'm on my own turf. So now is really like games are over. Your summertime, like the grease lightning or summer <laughs> is over. Uh, you know, you can stop playing Sandy and like now you got to get real. And so I started dating this guy and he was a little younger than I was and divorced and we had great sex and I was really attracted to him. And he understood that I was dating other people and it was fine. And then suddenly it wasn't fine. He was really, he didn't like it at all. And he became jealous to the point of, I would say I was having dinner with a male friend and really it was just a male friend. And he would think that I was doing something like behind his back. And it took me a little while to figure it out. I had never been with anybody possessive or jealous before. And I didn't understand it. I couldn't even see it. I was like, oh, he really likes me. He just really likes me and wants to be with me. And I, I didn't realize how controlling it was. And it got scary for me mm. because when I finally figured it out and it, it took me longer than it should have, I just said to him, I don't think that I don't want to date you anymore. I don't want to see you anymore. I don't like how controlling you are about my relationships and, you know, outside of you. And he was like, okay, but we have such great sex. I think we should at least just still have sex with each other. And I was like, yeah, no, I don't think that'll work. Like he was using everything yeah. to just try to keep in a connection. And that was my first experience of being with a person who was controlling. The good thing about it for me was that I, I understood 
I wasn't going to allow it. And so going forward, I made it very clear to men after that. And the, the biggest one was number six, because he and I were really dating. And I said to him at one point, I need to know that I can continue. If I want to have a one night stand with somebody, I need to know I can do that. And he said, are you asking for my permission? And I said, no, I don't need your permission. You need to decide if you want to be with me. Mm. And if you can't, if this is too much for you, I'll, I'm sorry, then this isn't going to work out. But if you want to be with me, these are the conditions of being with me. And it was so empowering for me because I realized nobody could make those choices for me. I didn't have to hand over decision-making to anybody. It was up to him to say, that's not what I want. And for me to walk away, for me to have the courage to say, I'm going to keep going till I find someone who can give that to me. Do you believe that on the other side of your divorce can be a life you freaking love? What if I told you that to live a happy life, you first have to believe you deserve it? How can you possibly create a life you love if you don't believe you are worthy of it? Let's get you set up to start believing in you. Just text the word BELIEVE to 411-321 to receive a free Believe Yourself Badass Guide. In this guide, we talk about power statements and how they can change your life. So stop what you're doing and text BELIEVE to 411-321. See you on the inside. I think that what you're saying right now, I think that that's where the beauty is because post-divorce, when you're a certain age in midlife, in so many people, so many of us find ourselves there in that, that kind of that age between yeah. the forties and fifties of knowing who you are and being totally unapologetic about it. And that's what I love, no matter what it is that you say you want or whatever boundaries you set, you're just like, this is the way it is. And I'm not going to mold myself into what you want me to be. And it's either like, take it or leave it. And I love that. And I don't think that if you're in, if you're listening and you're in your twenties and thirties, like, I feel like you, you don't get there until you're a little bit older. Would you agree with that? A hundred percent. Because I think that when you're young and you're forming a relationship, you are molding yourself. You're molding yourself to be a unit. And so it was very important to me when I met my husband that we were conjoined and that we grow a family. I was very determined from a young age that I wanted a family that was very solid, that was big and really like the perfect family. That was how I saw it was going to be. I came from a family uh, at a lot of um, loss in my own family. And he came from, he was the only child to divorce parents. And I thought, we're going to make it work. We're going to show the, our families, we're going to break the cycle in our families and we're going to do what has never been done in our families. And so it was all about being part of a partnership and a team. There's no I in team. Yeah, right. You know, I, I, I remember that, like I was part of this unit. We, we made decisions together. We, you know, we, we traveled together. We did things together. And actually we were living quite parallel lives. There was a lot we didn't do together. There was a lot we were deciding on our own, but I still was under the illusion that we were a team. So when I was looking for a relationship again or anything, I didn't even know what if I wanted a relationship. I was looking for something, even if it was just sex. I just wanted something, companionship. I was very aware that I was not trying to attach myself to another person. Mm. I wasn't trying to create a family. I had that. I wanted something different. And so I do think that's the beauty of being in midlife and being gifted the opportunity to be single again, is that you have a chance to do it all over completely differently. 
And I also think it's beautiful if you stay married to somebody and you have that partnership and it lasts. So I see it working on both sides. But for me, it's, I see like when I was in my twenties and thirties and my friends, it was all about finding the person and being like, you were magnetically attached and that was for life. Yeah. So I think it's very different when you're older because you just don't need that anymore. You might want it, but you still, you're not under the time pressure of like, all my friends are getting married and I've got to get married and I've been a bridesmaid 20 times and I need to have a baby by the time I'm 30. The pressure's off. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So do you have any advice for someone who is just coming out of their divorce, maybe thinking about entering the dating world, but is terrified to do so because I hear it all the time. Like, how do they do it? Mm -hmm. It's scary. Like, what advice do you have for them? I think it, it can be scary. So I think one thing is to really adjust your expectations. I think it's very important that when you go on a date, you're not looking for a partner. You're just going on a date. And I think that when you walk into a date, if you met somebody online or it's a blind date or you're sitting at a bar and you talk to somebody, that you just take it for what it is and that you not imagine that it's anything more. It's not a gateway to marriage. It's not a gateway to moving in. You don't have to imagine that this man or woman is going to be the step parent to your child. So I think that when you sit down and you try to imagine a future with this person and then you can't see it, it feels like a failure. And that's really scary because you need a win. If you're scared to go, you need a win. So I think if you, number one, can adjust what you're looking for, a date is just a date. A coffee is just a coffee. No matter what, you're going to get something out of it. Like I said about number five and about how controlling he was, it didn't work out, but I learned so much yeah. from it. I learned about myself. So if you use it as a, an opportunity to learn and just meet people and get your mojo back, you know, learn how it's done and know that it, you're probably going to have to go on a hundred dates before you really like find your groove or start to feel like, okay, I get how this is done or this is what I want, or I love a one night stand. I'm going to go for it. Or I hate a one night stand. I think it's, you know, terrible. And I never going to end the night, even with a kiss. That's just figure it out. You have to know. And the only way to know is to put yourself in that position. The last thing I would have expected of myself is what ended up happening. That's true. I was very, I want to say like conservative sexually, and um, like a really good girl. I was a rule yeah. follower and a good girl. Yep. So I ended up in a very different place. I allowed myself to go to a different place than I ever expected. So I think that if you approach dating, like it, you're sort of mining data about yourself, you're like on a research mission about yourself. The men are just there to aid your research mission. <laughs> and Sorry, guys. <laughs> you're just a tool. <laughs> But like, yeah, in the beginning. And by the way, if somebody makes himself like the best tool in the toolbox, he'll stick around. (laughs) If you make yourself useful, you can stick around. (laughs) If you become the drill with 20 bits, you know, you'll you'll have staying power. I mean, I, what's funny is that I, I did not want a relationship. I was adamant. I didn't want commitment. I didn't want a relationship. But number six was so good to me and so loving. And he just kept feeding me and taking care of me that I was like, out, out, why would I walk away from this? I love, we've got great sex. Like, why would I walk away from this? This is a lovely thing. So I like went kicking and screaming into a relationship because I had gone so far from where I started. So I think that if you, you just have to adjust your perceptions of what the process is like. 
you can't walk into a date, have it not go well and think, well, that was a failure. Oh, it's a total bust. It may have been a bust in that it didn't end in a second date, but I'm sure you learned something. You got a little more comfortable talking. You learned what not to talk about. I mean, there were times in the beginning where I would say to men, you know, I'm very open-minded, but I think that if you're married and you have an affair, you should be castrated. (laughs) So like this, I really just want to say that I think any married person who has sex is just really like should be hung. And so, and I would say it so softly, but sincerely thinking, (laughs) oh, this is so obvious. And in hindsight, I realize how crazy I sounded, but I was wounded and that was where I was. And so I had to say that five times and get men's reactions before I stopped saying it. (laughs) That means you took it down from your profile as your tagline. (laughs) Married men don't apply here. And then I still wouldn't, I wouldn't date a man. I wouldn't sleep with a married man. Like that's a very basic way of saying it. But there were other things I understood. Like I'm not going to, I'm not going to go on a date. And if a man speaks to me about his ex-wife in a negative way, not interested. Yeah. Uh, you better, you have to respect, if that woman is a mother to your children, you better respect her. And if you can't and you don't, then you're not for me. So I learned that. That was information I got, yeah. even on the dates that were duds. So I think that that's the advice I have for women is adjust your expectations and just don't put so much pressure on yourself. You don't have to go home and sleep with somebody yeah. the first night. That doesn't make it a success or not a success. For me, I got myself out of the house that night. I got dressed up and I sat in the bar. That was, I was already a success. Yeah. I happened to hit it out of the field. <laughs> I got so lucky. You're an overachiever. <laughs> <laughs> I really am. And I'm very competitive with myself. So I, I really, I always think like that the universe, you know, there must be some spiritual component because the universe knew I needed a win that night. Yeah. And he sent me this, the universe sent me this man to say, you have a whole new life waiting for you. And he had a full head of hair and he wasn't 80. <laughs> <laughs> and he was very buff and had tattoos and he was on a motorcycle trip in, uh-huh. in the area. So he was like really perfect. Never saw him again. Um, he was like your guardian angel. Like, <laughs> Yes, honestly, that's how I thought of him. Because I, I often thought, well, what if I hadn't had that win that night? Would I have gone home and thought, okay, well, I'm not going to do that again anytime soon. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know what I would have done. I think that I, I, I'm not sure, but I think that I at least understand now that was the beginning of a process for me. And the process took many for, and many duds of dates. I went up to bars. I had blind dates. I went on online dating. I did it all. And I think you just have to be open, yeah. you know, open and friendly and do something that makes you feel good when you go out. Like if you don't need to put on a thong that's been sitting in your drawer for 20 <laughs> years, you could buy yourself new lingerie. It doesn't have to be expensive to be lovely. Yeah. You know, put on that like beautiful perfume or oil or lotion that makes you feel like you smell so good. So you just feel good about yourself. Yeah. You know, and and that's all you have to do. Laura, let's talk about your book. It's called Available, a memoir of sex and dating after a marriage ends. Can you share why you decided to write this and what we can find in between the pages of this juicy book? Yes. Well, what you'll find are all the details of it, all the numbers uh, one through 10. And there was... Um, Did you have to reach out to them and tell them that they've been assigned a number? No. Oh my God, no. <laughs> I mean, I pray that none of them ever pick up the book. Because I was really good about... I was very kind about most of them. I felt that most of them were good people. 
and we had some funny experiences, but I felt they were good people. There was, there were a couple that were really not good experiences at all. Um, I didn't reach out to any of them. I gave them all pseudonyms and I, I hid their identities as best as possible. I did describe them as they were and the details, I put it all in there. You know, I, I really, um, put it all out there sexually, physically, emotionally, in every way. Um, I talked about what it was like to, in the book, I talk about what it's like to be a woman in midlife recovering from a long marriage and finding herself and re-entering the world. And I talk about every aspect of what that means. And so there's a lot of sex. There's a lot of like hot sex and a lot of really embarrassing sex. (laughs) And I talk about it all because that's it. That's part of the process. You know, I definitely had, I had some really you know, I, I had some real fumbles, you know, there was like a man whose dog was practically in the bed with us who then like went to the bathroom in the hallway because he was so mad that he wasn't in the bed with us. And like, that was super awkward. <laughs> there was a man whose house I was at whose teenage daughter came home and I wasn't expecting it. I was naked and I broke my rib because I like jumped to get away from her and I fell and broke my rib in the bathroom. So I, I mean, a lot of really funny things happened that were like not so funny at the moment, but I knew were you know, material. (laughs) So I write about that, but I also write about how hard I worked at finding the balance between being there for my kids. My kids were grieving the loss of the family they had known. And my kids ranged in age from seven to 18 at the time. So that is a very big part. Parenting through, learning how to forgive my ex-husband, how to build a foundation with him again, how to not be afraid to live on my own the power of my girlfriends and my community and my family in holding me up, all of those things I talk about. And I decided to write it, I guess I felt I had a story to tell. And when I spoke to other women about it, girlfriends, my mother, you know, women who had been divorced, it felt like a story that it was a positive story. Yeah, The story ended well for me. And it was surprising because I think everybody who knew me agreed that I was not a likely candidate. I was the PTA mom. Mm. I was the PTA president in every school my kids went to. I was the one running the scholastic book fair in the cafeteria and, you know, selling the brownies at the bake sale. And I liked that life. I more than liked it. I I loved it. And um, so to go from that to writing a book about your sex life, you know, (laughs) and how free you are, like as if I was, you know, locked up all those years and now I'm free and can do whatever I want. I think was very unexpected. And I wanted women to know, you know what, you can actually do both. You can be the PTA mom mm. selling the brownies and organizing the school dances and go out on a date on a Friday night and have hot sex with whoever you want. Uh-huh. And you can do it all. You can do it both. And I do. I mean, I still, you know, I was just um, running the bake sale at my daughter's middle school dance. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm still doing that. And yet I wrote this book mm-hmm. and I really revealed myself and I did it because I wanted to tell my story. And I did it because I wanted other women to know that reinvention is possible. Yeah. I love that. Not easy, but possible. I love it. I, I love everything you just said. I love that fact that like, I'm getting all teary and being like, yes, like <laughs> because it's about being whoever you want, making whatever choices mm-hmm. you want as a grown ass woman 
who doesn't need approval from anyone, from friends, from family and showing up and saying, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to be who I want to be, what feels right in the moment. And I'm not going to apologize for it. I'm not going to explain myself. Like you don't have to explain yourself to anyone. And I'm just like, yes, like I love I love that. I'm so happy that you wrote this book because I think that I think it's like the true gritty side of what people go through in divorce that people don't like to talk about. You know, it's kind of like the the dating world. They don't want to share those those, you know, what happens the first time they have sex after their divorce or the second time or one night. And like there there's some shame associated with that, along with the divorce. And so you're you're doing a really good job of helping to lift the shame of everything that goes along with that. Well, I'm glad you actually said that because that is one thing I, I really talk about a lot. It was almost like I, I was very shy about talking about sex or trying new things in my sexual life with my husband. And so I almost did like an overcorrection where I was like, you know what? We all, most of us have sex. We came about because somebody had sex and most of us would like to have more sex. So why is it something we can't talk about? And the only reason to me you don't talk about something is because you feel shame about it. And I did not want to have that anymore. I didn't want there to be shame about this most basic thing that we all need and like. Yeah. So I, when I remember when I was telling my mom about the book, I was sort of wanted her to tell me, Laura, you can't do it. Like, it's too much. You know, you've got kids and you have to think about the reactions. Uh, you know, I was expecting her to say, don't do it. And so when I told her about it, she was like, uh, why wouldn't you do it? And I said, no, mom, your job is to shut me down. <laughs> and she said, I'm not going to, I'm not doing it. I don't see the problem. You know, so your kids will be embarrassed. Yep, they're, they're I mean, are they even going to read back. it? <laughs> no, but they are. I mean, two out of three are fine. They don't really care. One of them was definitely super embarrassed about her mom writing a book about her sex life. <laughs> And, but she's come around. She's come I mean, around. Listen, all her friends have we read it, by all the way. need to give our kids something that they have to go to their therapist with. Like, it's required. <laughs> this is a doozy. <laughs> but we've worked through it. And it's funny. This is the eldest who's now 21. And of course, her friends, I gave one of her girlfriends a copy of it because they really wanted to read it. And they pass it around to each other. They've been sending it to each other. They call it the Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants book. And they <laughs> one re- reads it and the next one reads it. So it's very sweet. But I felt like I'm going to rip the, the Band-Aid off. Yes. I am not going to be ashamed. And as you said, I'm not going to apologize. And I do not have to defend myself. I'm a grown woman. I'm not hurting anybody. I'm being honest. I'm doing what makes me feel good. I survived something that was hell. I had to do a complete turnaround. I'm not bitter. I'm not angry. I'm living my life. I'm still mothering the hell out of my kids. Mm. And so I'll I'll talk all I want about my sex life. And now that I'm doing it, it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Oh my God. I could talk to you all day. We've totally gone over, but it's because you're- Oh, we have. Oh my goodness. I'm sorry. I started talking. (laughs) No, it's so much fun. Like there's so much, there's so much to talk about here. So this book, you can get it anywhere books are sold, everywhere online, in the bookstore, like it's everywhere. Well, it's actually right now it's only on Amazon. It, it, there's an audio edition, which I narrated. Um, so if anybody likes to listen to audiobooks, and there's a Kindle version and then it's available on Amazon. It will be more widely available here in May. It'll be out in paperback and then it'll be in all bookstores. But until then, ebook, audiobook, or the hardcover on Amazon is all available. Awesome. And UK got the goods on this book before the US. We were, we were slow over here. Good. <laughs> 
They were. I mean, so the, the, those British those British people are, um, you know, they don't talk about sex as openly, but they're more open to it. That's so funny. interestingly, <laughs> like when you want to talk about it. So they were great. I, I love those. I love those Brits. <laughs> All right. Final question, Laura. Yes. Post-divorce, did you ever imagine that you'd actually be having fun once you came out the other side? No, just no. I did never imagined any of this. I did not imagine this life for myself. I thought that I was uh, going to be like half of what used to be a whole for the rest of my life. Mm. And now I'm a whole all by myself. Oh, I love that. It's a perfect way to end this. Thank you so much. I adore you. Everyone should be picking up a copy of this book. Thank you, Renee. I appreciate it. That's a wrap. Link up with us at MsReneeBauer.com. Remember to rate and review and share with anyone you think might find this episode helpful. You can change your story and live happy even after. 